Passion for God and compassion for our neighbor. Reaching our region and beyond with the life-changing message of Jesus Christ. This is Crosswinds Church. And now, here's Pastor Jordan Gowing. For the rest of us, we are in the middle of Advent, as you could probably guess from our Christmas program this morning, and uh, our children did an excellent job. Uh, just give them a round of applause one more time. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, did an excellent job reminding us of the primary focus of Christmas, and that focus is on Jesus. And not only that, but our youth helped build the bridge and, and build on that to help, help us remember the connection between Christmas and Easter. See, the reason Jesus came in Luke chapter 2 is because Jesus came to die in Luke chapter 23. We can't have Christmas without Easter. We can't have Easter without Christmas. They are inseparable. And it's important for us during the Christmas season to remember that, to remember the purpose of Jesus coming to earth, the purpose of God himself coming to earth. For the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through the book of Luke uh, in the first chapter, first two chapters of Luke. And the thing that we've been focusing on is really the purpose of Luke's gospel. And that's found in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And, and Luke tells us the reason why he wrote this gospel. The reason why he wrote uh, chapters 1 and 2 about John the Baptist's birth and about Jesus' birth, all the way through the, the resurrection of Jesus in, in, in Luke chapter 24, is for the purpose of giving us certainty in our faith. That's the entire purpose of Luke's gospel. He wants us to have certainty about the things of God, to know more about what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ. And last week, we looked at a very familiar Christmas story, the story of Mary being told by the angel Gabriel that she was going to bear a son, and that son's name was going to be Jesus. And we were reminded that Jesus is king. We focused on who Jesus is, and we saw that Jesus is great, that Jesus is our savior, that Jesus is the son of God, that Jesus is ruling even now and will reign forever. And this morning, we're going to continue the Christmas story. We're going to continue working our way through Luke chapter 1, and we're going to look at another very uh, familiar story to us this Christmas season. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56, and this is a story where Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, and Mary sings this song of praise for what God has done for her and what God has done for the people of Israel. So that's where we're going to be focusing this morning. And what we're going to see as we open this text is we're going to see that Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's Old Testament promises. Every single Old Testament promise is fulfilled in Jesus. And as we work our way through this text, we're going to see that Elizabeth understood that. Elizabeth got it. She knew that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Mary also understood it. She, she got it, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And it's our hope and it's our prayer this morning that we get it too. That we understand and recognize that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. That the entire Old Testament points to Jesus. The entire New Testament is built on who Jesus is. And everything we do as Christians has to start with the purpose, or with a person of Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament and all of God's promises. As we work our way through this text, we're going to see three key attributes of those who are a part of God's promises. 
These are three things that, that those who are part of God's promises, what they're like. As we work our way through the, the text, that's what we're going to see this morning. But before we do that, I ask you to join me in prayer one more time before we open to Luke chapter 1. God, we thank you for the promises that you have for us, and we thank you that those are fulfilled in Jesus. We thank you for the love that you have for us, and we thank you for the grace that you've shown us through your Son. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have a Bible, I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. If you don't have a Bible, it's printed in your sermon notes as well as on the screen behind me. Uh, so please follow along. Uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 39. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah, and she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? And behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. The first thing that we see, the first attribute of those who are a part of God's promises is that they believe. God's promises are for those who believe. See, that's what Luke focuses on here in these first few verses. The first thing that Mary does after she receives this good news from the angel that she is going to bear Jesus is she heads right for Elizabeth. In the previous passage that we looked at last week, the angel tells Mary that Elizabeth, her, her relative who is in her 60s or 70s, has miraculously born a child and is actually now six months pregnant. And this is a sign to Mary that what the angel has said to her will come true. And Mary is overflowing with joy. So the first thing she does as soon as the angel leaves is she takes off and she heads to see her relative Elizabeth. This is a long journey for Mary to make. It was probably 60 to 100 miles over rocky, mountainous terrain. She made it all by herself as a 12 or 13-year-old. And when she arrives, we see this startling faith from Elizabeth. Just an astounding faith from Elizabeth. Before Mary is even able to tell Elizabeth what the angel has said to her, Elizabeth says, behold, the mother of my Lord. The Holy Spirit comes upon her, and Elizabeth says, behold, it's the mother of my Lord. How good it is for you to come and to visit me. See, this is a sign of the faith that Elizabeth had, that she understood what was going on, that the Spirit of God rested on her, and she knew that Jesus was going to be the fulfillment of everything that God had said would happen in the Old Testament. And a couple weeks ago, we looked at a passage that talked about the character of Elizabeth. And it said that Elizabeth was a righteous woman who was uh, faithful in her relationship with God, that she walked blamelessly before the Lord. And here we see what that looks like. She has faith that Jesus is the one will be the fulfillment of all of God's promises. And just picture this for a second. Elizabeth is in her, her, her 60s or her 70s, and here comes her 12 or 13-year-old relative showing up unannounced. And she doesn't chastise Mary for making this journey all by herself. She doesn't judge Mary for showing up 
with a child out of wedlock. She is so utterly focused on the ways God is at work. And she's at, she believes that God is at work through Mary and through her son. Of course, not only is Elizabeth a good example of what it looks like to believe, but Mary is as well. I want to just reread verse 45. It says this, And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Elizabeth is saying that Mary is blessed because she believes what God has said to her will come true. In the Old Testament, there's a story about a woman named uh, J.L., and she is called blessed among women. And the reason why she's blessed among women is because this tyrant comes and stops at her house and takes a nap there, and she actually shoves a tent peg in through his head. It's a really, really startling story. But the reason why she's considered blessed is because she has killed this tyrant. But here, the reason why Mary is called blessed is because she believes God. She's a wonderful picture of what it looks like to believe what God has said. Believe in God. And in the, old, in the Bible, we have really two ways that belief is understood. First way is to just understand and believe that what God has said is going to come true. So, for example, in the Old Testament, God said that the people of Israel should not worship other gods. If they did, then bad things were going to happen to them. Some people believed, most of them didn't, and sure enough, bad things happened to them. They believed or they didn't believe the words that God said. That's kind of what Mary is doing here. She's believed what God has said. But it also gets at a deeper level of belief in the Bible, and that is more like trust. When you see the Bible talking about believing in Jesus, it's talking about trusting in him. See, Mary didn't just believe that what God had predicted was going to happen would happen. She trusted God to bring about the fulfillment of those things. She trusted that God would fulfill the promises he had made to the people of Israel through the person of Jesus. See, God is trustworthy. He is worthy of our trust. We can focus on him in the midst of these times. And if we want to join in his promises, if we want to join in the promises that have been fulfilled in Jesus, this is a good place to start, to just believe to trust in him to bring these things about. If you look at the New Testament and this passage here, you may be wondering, what, where do we start? Where do we start trusting in God and, and believing in him? I think we should do the same thing that Mary did here. Mary started by believing that he was going to fulfill his word, that he was going to keep his word. And in our lives, do we do the same thing? Do we open God's word and believe that he has fulfilled it, that he is fulfilling it, and that he will fulfill it? Do we take God at his word? God's promises are for those who believe. Second thing we see from this passage is that God's promises are for those who fear. God's promises are for those who fear. Let's pick up in verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed, for he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. Mary praises God here in this song for what he has done for her. 
I don't know if any of you guys have been to the opera before, but I've been a couple times. The first time I went was when I was eight. And uh, I was invited by one of my friends to go to the uh, Omaha Zoo. And he had like behind the scenes passes. And so I was really, really excited for this opportunity. I was really jumping at the opportunity to get to feed the sharks and to pet giraffes and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was riding on cloud nine and was ready to head home after we had been at the zoo. And then all of a sudden they pull a fast one on me and say we're going to the opera. And so I go to the opera and it was my first time. I was eight, you know, and I'm sitting through a five hour long rendition of Carmen. It was probably only two hours, but it seemed like five hours long. And I was always trying to sleep in the middle of this thing. I'm just, I'm just going to say it. I was trying to sleep in the middle of this thing. I noticed something. Whenever some action would happen on the stage, someone would pause and would come out and they would sing about what had just happened. And they would sing an aria about the significance of what had just taken place. I think that's what's happening here. I think that's what Mary is doing here. That She's explaining the significance of what has just taken place through song. As we work our way through this song, it's called the Magnificat. You may have recognized that name for it in the past. As we see this, she first focuses on what God has done for her in these verses. And in her next section, she actually focuses on what God has done for the people of Israel. There's so many things that we could look at when it comes to this song. We could look at the fact that it has so many roots in the Old Testament that it's actually based off of songs sung by other women in the Old Testament. We could look at the way that it's fulfilled in Jesus. But I want to just zero in on verse 50. And verse 50 says this, And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. See, we've talked about fearing God in the past. We've talked a little bit about what it means to fear God. But I just want to use an illustration, an example that I heard uh, from a pastor named Matt Chandler a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think it's a perfect illustration. Matt Chandler uh, his, is a pastor of a church in Dallas, and his church uh, goes to this family camp for a week every year. A number of people from this church actually go to this camp. And it's, it's really entertaining for all of these city people to go out and be out in the wilderness and live on this camp. And there's this barn full of animals at this camp. And on the first day, they bring everyone into the barn and said, this is our animal barn. And those goats over there are fainting goats. These are the goats. I don't know if you know these goats, but uh, when you scare them, they get really nervous and they actually black out and fall over. So they, they faint. And uh, they, they requested that the people who were at this camp not try to make these goats faint. And so, of course, the first thing that's running through every man's mind during this time is, how am I going to make these goats faint? And so they would spend, really, the entire week sneaking up on these goats and then slapping them as hard as they can, and then, bam, the goat falls over. They would come running at it, screaming at it, trying to scare the goat, and bam, the goat would fall over. They would keep doing this over and over and over. And after a long day of scaring goats, Matt Chandler pauses and he says, what if that was a lion? What if those were lions in there? How many of us would go running in there trying to scare it, yelling at it? How many of us would come running up to it trying to slap it to scare it? We know the difference between a lion and between a goat. We know that even if there is someone in there to go with us into the lion's den, even if we are able to feed it, we want someone else, frankly, to feed it first because they might be the food for the lion. We approach the lion with fear and trepidation. 
I think that's a good picture of how to approach God. I think it's a good picture of what it looks like to fear God, to come into his presence with a little bit of nerves, with a little bit of, of unsurety, not really sure what's going to happen because of who he is. You see, in our society, a lot of people treat God like a goat. A lot of people think of God as an accessory, something that we can add on to our lives, that we can mock and we can make fun of and we can try to scare. But God isn't a goat. God is a lion. I love the way that Isaiah describes it in Isaiah chapter 6 when he enters into God's presence. He says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips. He understands his sinfulness before the very presence of a holy God. See, the Bible tells us, the New Testament tells us that we now have confidence to come before the throne of God because of Jesus. And we want to hold that truth up, but also at the same time, are we treating God as if he's a lion? Are we coming into God's presence with fear and trepidation, knowing that we are completely unworthy of being in his presence? How do you relate to God? Do you think that you are giving, doing God a favor by coming to church on Sundays? Do you think that you're doing God a favor by living a good, clean life? Or do you come into his presence trembling, knowing that he is a holy, mighty, righteous God, and you are unworthy of being in his presence? God's promises are for those who fear. And the third one is this, that God's promises are for the humble. God's promises are for the humble. Let's take a look at uh, Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 51. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. When I was in seminary, I had a professor who was extremely difficult. Uh, He was lights out difficult. In fact, he would give these quizzes where most of the people in this 60 or 70 people class would actually think that they were going to be failing these quizzes. He would ask us questions like, "What what is the author's argument on the second footnote on page 234? And we'd be like, well, I, I don't know that. And he asked us questions like, where was the third spot that, that Paul stopped on his first missionary journey? And you'd have to have all of these things memorized. And, and one day, we were coming to class, and we were really quite nervous for one of these quizzes. And we found out right before class that the class was canceled because the professor was sick. And all of us, you know, just breathe this huge sigh of relief. We begin foolishly thinking that the quiz is going to be canceled permanently. Well, we get an email later that day that says, you know, the, cl- the quiz will be made up the next class period. And so everyone collectively groans over the email. But there was one of the students who replied to this email, replied not only to uh, the, the professor, but really to the entire class of 70, and said, yes, I love these quizzes because they humble me. And in addition to giving us all a really good laugh because it was funny and we all knew exactly what he was talking about and reminded us of of the way God wants us to approach him. It reminded us of what God wants most from his people. 
See, we're a class of 60 to 70 future pastors. And it reminded us that the thing that God wants most from his people is not grumbling over a quiz, is not even getting a perfect score because we know the Bible so well that we know the fourth place that, uh, that Moses stopped while he was in the wilderness with the people of Israel. What God wants most from his people is humility. What God wants most from his people is a humble heart. See, it's easy for us to be proud. It's easy to think much of ourselves. But that's the exact opposite of the way God wants us to approach him. President Truman once said, you can accomplish anything as long as you don't care who gets the credit. That's humility. Being so focused on God's glory, the spread of God's kingdom, that you don't care who gets the credit as long as his kingdom is going forth. God looks upon the humility of his people. But not only that, God looks upon the humble estate of his people. See, God is in the business of using the people who are downcast, of using the poor, the have-nots, the insignificant of the world for his kingdom. The people that we think would be a good fit for God to use to spread his name and his fame are actually the people who are typically left out. God uses the have-nots to spread his glory. It's found throughout the Bible. I just want to give you uh, two examples. The first one is Moses. Moses was a troubled person. When God found Moses, he was living in the wilderness, far away from Egypt, because he had murdered someone and had run away from him. And God comes to Moses and, said, God, and says, Moses, I want you to be my mouthpiece. I want you to be the person that I use to deliver my people from slavery in Egypt. And Moses says, I, I can't talk good. He says, I stutter. I, I'm not able to speak God, you've got the wrong person. I'm the last person on the face of the planet that you want going before Pharaoh and speaking to him. I'm not good enough. And there's this long dialogue between God and Moses where Moses keeps coming back to, I'm not good enough. And God says, that's exactly my point. That's exactly the reason why I want to use you to free my people from slavery. And so God uses Moses, a person who couldn't speak, a person who was a coward, to come before Pharaoh himself, the most powerful man in the world at that time, to deliver the people of Israel. God uses those who are of humble estate. Another example is uh, found in 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel, we have the story of this prophet named Samuel who is being called by God to anoint, uh, to anoint a, a new king over the people of Israel. And, and God tells Samuel to go to this man named Jesse. And one of Jesse's sons is actually going to be the future king of Israel. And so uh, Samuel comes to Jesse and says, Jesse, one of your sons is going to be the future king of Israel. Can you bring them out? And I'm going to anoint that son right now. And so Jesse brings them all out and lines them all out in front of Samuel. And Samuel goes down the row and looks at him. And he stops on the, the tallest one and says, 
this has got to be it. This has got to be the one that's going to lead God's people. And God says to Samuel, it's not him because I've rejected him. And keeps going down the line and looking at all of Jesse's sons and gets to the very end and, and God hasn't said that any of them are the ones that God will use to be his king. And so Jesse is standing there a little confused and so is Samuel. And Samuel says, Jesse, okay, I, I was told that one of your sons is going to be the future king of Israel. But none of these guys are it. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse says, no, I don't think so. I, I, I think that's, I mean, God's hint, yeah. Oh, oh, well, there's David. There, there's David, but David's out in the field right now. He's playing his harp. David is out there uh, with the sheep, but you don't want David. He's the runt of the litter. And sure enough, he brings David before Samuel, and God says, that's the one. That's the one who's going to lead my people. God used someone who was so insignificant that he was forgotten by his very own father to be the greatest king in Israel's history. God is in the business of taking people who are broken, who are messed up, who aren't good enough to serve God, to glorify him, to spread the good news of his kingdom. So my question for you this morning is, what weakness of yours does God want to use for his kingdom? What weakness of yours does God want to use for his own glory? I'll give you a, a personal example. Um, I was born with something called PHPV, which uh, basically means I am unable to see out of my left eye. i uh, been that way from the very moment that I was born, and so that throws off my depth perception, and uh, if you ever want to beat me in basketball, just force me into one of the corners because I, I can't shoot worth a darn there. Uh, but in top of, on top of basketball, uh, another thing on a more serious note, it's been a real big struggle of mine for a number of years. Uh, I've really wrestled with God on this subject and on this topic, and really one of the things that is least comfortable for me is having people stare at me. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't really care for it. Um, and yet God uses my weakness for his glory. God uses the thing that I don't like for the fame of his name. What area of your life are you weak? What area of your life makes you say, I'm worthless? I'm useless. God could never use me. Because it's a very good chance that God is saying, that's exactly the way that I want to use you. That's exactly the way that I want to spread my glory through you. God's promises are for the humble. God's promises are for those of a humble estate, of the downcast, of those who aren't good enough in the world's eyes. How does God want to use you? That's really what Mary is singing about here. That's what Luke is telling us in this passage. I love the way Isaiah puts it in Isaiah chapter 66. I just want to read this to you. Uh, he says this, but this is the one, this is God speaking, but this is the one to whom I will look, he who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. God looks at those who are humble. God looks upon those with favor who aren't good enough in the world's eyes. 
God looks upon those with favor who are so struck with awe when they open his word that they tremble. God looks upon favor with those, upon those who believe him, that take him at his word, that trust in him. He says, these are my people. These are the ones that I will use. These are the ones who are part of my promises. And it's easy for us, as we look at something like this, as we look at three key attributes, we can look at it as a checklist. We can say, well, as long as I believe, as long as I fear God, and as long as I humble, I'm humble, then God's going to accept me, and God's uh, going to make me a part of his kingdom. That really misses the focus, because the focus isn't on us. The focus is on God. We place our trust in him, because Jesus is the fulfillment of all of God's promises. Jesus is the one that we look to in the midst of all those times. And so seek to believe him because he is worthy of our belief. Seek to fear him because he is a lion. And seek to be humble for those are the ones that God will exalt. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that your promises are fulfilled in Jesus that when we look at the manger and we look at the cross, we walk away knowing what you have done for us, the great links that you have gone to to restore us to you. God, you are so good to us. Help us to trust in you. Help us to tremble before you. And help us to be humble before you, letting you Use our weaknesses for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been a presentation of Crosswinds Church. More of Pastor Jordan's sermons can be found online at crosswinds.tv. Thanks for being with us, and may God continue to enrich your life.